Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Drivers, start your engines! Let's go into the smoke with Evan Ludwig. And welcome to a 2024 edition of Into the Smoke. I'm your host, as always, Evan Smoke Ludwig. And it's the granddaddy of them all to start the year. The great American race, the Daytona 500. And folks, even though the ending was anticlimactic, the race overall did not disappoint. So let's get into breaking this bad boy right away. The year was 2018. That was the last time a North Carolina driver that was born in North Carolina won the Daytona 500. That was Austin Dillon. And coincidentally enough, that was the NASCAR Cup Series debut for one William Byron. The young rookie who was at the time just 20 years old made his NASCAR Cup Series debut to a measly, mediocre 23rd place finish. Now... Six years into the future, William Byron has won his 11th career race, and most importantly, it's the Daytona Flippin' 500. And it's quite an incredible journey because I know the iRacing story has been done to death. It's essentially become NASCAR's version of what Ryan Fitzpatrick was to a lot of commentators back in the day. He went to Harvard. Or if you remember Larry Fitzgerald, he was the ball boy for the Vikings. But the story is nonetheless incredible for what William Byron has done and his meteoric rise. Because unlike a lot of guys, he had a quick, quick, quick journey to the NASCAR Cup Series scene. He was a truck series driver, only had one full-time season. And if it wasn't for a bad break in one of the rounds of the playoffs, would have easily been the champion. And then in only one year in the Xfinity Series, won the championship at 19 years old. And as I've mentioned here, you know, once he got to the Cup Series, it took a while. It took a while for him to get going. His rookie year was not good. It was at a time when Hendrick was at a downturn trying to rebuild. The next year was a little bit better, solid, but not what he wanted. And same for the next year. But ever since he's been teamed up with Rudy Fugel, he has slowly but surely gotten back to what we saw William Byron in in the Xfinity and Truck Series alike. And last year, it finally popped completely. It felt like we finally saw the total package of William Byron when he won six races, made the championship four, and was oh so close to winning his first championship. Now he starts his age 26 season as a championship contender by winning the Great American Race and getting another win for Hendrick Motorsports in a massive, massive impact. The ninth Daytona 500 win for Hendrick Motorsports. And oh, by the way, Coincidentally enough, it happened on the 40th anniversary of Hendrick Motorsports' first race, which was the 1984 Daytona 500, which was or which was driven by Jeff Bodine. I don't know if I remember correctly if it was still technically called All Star Racing at the time, which was a Hendrick Motorsports original team name. 
but that just shows you how incredible this has been. Now, I know a lot of people have been saying it's rigged, but I just think they can't let a good story be just a good story because guess what? (laughs) If William Byron wasn't going to win, it was going to be Alex Bowman who was going to win. And guess what? He's a Hendrick driver. So you look at this race for William Byron, and it's pretty astonishing how in his career he has not finished a Daytona 500 until yesterday. And it just shows you how cruel this event can be no matter how good he's been. And he's been to pole sitter a couple times. He's been on the front row a couple times for this event over the last five years. But it just never seemed to line up. He was at the wrong place at the wrong time on multiple occasions. And everything just seemed to line up for him this year. And and, and not only for him, for Hendrick Motorsports entirely. Because they had fast cars, Chase Elliott and Hendrick were able to use strategy at the end of stage one to get a lot of stage points. So that showed you, oh, okay. And... Then you look at them all avoiding the big one, even though it was an incident that technically Alex Bowman created with a a bad push to William Byron that could have easily sent him into the wall. You look at it, and all four Hendrick cars avoided the big one, and all four were technically in it in the final restart. But William Byron had a tremendous push on that final restart, and the only guy that was going to be able to fight for him, and it seemed like have a legit shot of beating William Byron was Ross Chastain. And unfortunately for Ross, if he could do it all over again, I think he would wait a little bit longer to make his move. Because if you were to watch the film, Corey LaJoy looked like he was trying to get out of line. Austin Cendrick was trying to block Corey LaJoy. And essentially those two skirmishing got into Ross Chastain right as he was moving down low trying to go side by side with William Byron. Which if that did not happen, I think we would have set up for a tremendous finish between two of the best bow ties Chevys in the field yesterday outside of Kyle Busch because I think Kyle Busch had one of the best cars. He just was not there in the end. But it it led to the incident, and luckily um, William Byron got the caution to come out right in time because if it was a second later, I think we'd be talking about Alex Bowman bringing the 48 car back to victory lane and ending a near nearly two-year uh, winless streak for him, which would have been much needed coming into this year. But – it, it nonetheless was a f- tremendous feel-good moment. The 24 car goes into victory lane to start 2024. One of the premier numbers in NASCAR, Jeff Gordon going to victory lane with Rick Hendrick. It, once again, if last year didn't make you – or the last two to three years didn't make you feel like Hendrick was back to being one of the premier, if not the premier team, I feel like last night was an exclamation point or a knock on the head saying, hey, wake the F up. We're back. We are back. Not only has Chase Elliott won a championship within the last five years, so has Kyle Larson. And William Byron has been slowly, steadily developing over the last couple of years, and the last 12 months have proven that he is now a legit championship contender. Look, he's not the most talkative guy. He's not going to be the one to talk your head off. He's not one to yell, curse, scream, and go after one, try to want to fight somebody after a race. But what he is, he's a very efficient driver and a very effective driver, and he can get the job done. And when he's behind that wheel, I've seen him do a lot of incredible stuff for about seven or eight years now. And last night was another example of that. It felt like, honestly, he had a stranglehold on that lead on the final restart. Like I said, the only guy that seemed like could even get close to him on that final restart was Ross Chastain. So that just shows you how good he was once he finally got the lead. And he only led four laps. 
So he was biding his time for pretty much most of the race. Wasn't going to go dominate, but put himself in the right position. And luckily for him, all the dominoes fell, and he was just at the right place at the right time and was able to barely avoid the big one. You move that just a couple of milliseconds or move it just a couple of meters or inches, he probably would have been headfirst into the wall. But Lady Luck was on his side for once. And when you look at this for the macro of what this could mean for this year, first off, William Byron doesn't have to worry about what this could – the playoffs because he's probably going to be consistent enough to make the playoffs. And now, you know, he can basically just run the rest of the season just trying to go after wins, trying to get ready for the playoffs. That's the best part about winning Daytona, especially if you're a championship contender, which, by the way, it's been a while since we've had a true championship contender win the opening race to Daytona 500. Because last year, Ricky Stenhouse, he's a wild card. 2022, Austin Cendrick had no expectation for a rookie in NASCAR. 2021, Michael McDowell was a feel-good story who won his first career race. That was a bit of a shocker. 2020 was the last time we've had a true championship contender, Denny Hamlin, win the Daytona 500. The problem is I can't really go off of what to expect and how to use that into 2024 standards because that was 2020, and the whole season got blew up and made into a complete oddity because of the COVID pandemic. So in 2019, I could say, well, Denny Hamlin did this, but that was also year one of the reduced horsepower package with the tapered spacer so that's its own entity we're kind of going into uncharted waters in the gen 7 era with this car of a guy who is perceived to be a championship favorite winning the opening race and how he plays out the rest of this year but on the flip side Hendrick Motorsports Chad Knauss and Jimmy Johnson even though they didn't run most of their career in this era was also very very innovative in trying to go after aggressive setups and aggressive strategies once they knew they were going to be locked in. And guess who's one of the heads of Hendrick Motorsports now? Chad Knauss. So that could give you an idea of what to expect from William Byron. I think now we'll see a little bit more aggressive William Byron because he's got nothing to lose for the next 25 weeks, essentially. So this provides a very interesting storyline that we'll have to see with William Byron. We've seen a lot of guys who've won the Daytona 500 in the past, sometimes hit a lull, and some of it is because they're just being too aggressive, and some of it is they're just not good enough. They're, they're not a true championship contender. Who knows what we'll see, but I feel like for sure that William Byron is a championship contender, and the Daytona 500 is only going to reintroduce that fact to a lot of NASCAR fans as we get 2024 rolling. As I said, it was a good night to be a Hendrick Motorsports fan, driver, team member, whatever you want to be. It was a good night to be a Hendrick Motorsports fan. But the, the main question I have is, what does this do for Alex Bowman? Alex Bowman has been a very interesting story since he's been in NASCAR, specifically since he filled in for Dale Jr. due to his concussion back in 2016. And heading into this year, if you were to ask me who would be two of the names that you think are on the most hot seat heading into this year, Daniel Suarez feels like the obvious number one because now they have a driver that's basically in the development program, development team with Spire and Zane Smith that could go to Spire essentially at any moment. And Daniel Suarez is coming off one of the worst years of his career in good equipment, not statistically because he was in some bad equipment in 2020. But this is 
arguably one of the most disappointing years uh, Daniel Suarez is coming off of in 2023. So Daniel Suarez feels like the number one guy that's going to be on the hot seat in this year. But I would argue number two is Alex Bowman. Alex Bowman, it, it, it's weird because his journey at Hendrick coincided with Hendrick starting their rebuilds, so they kind of fell behind a little bit. His first year, eh, but they made the playoffs. Second year, won a race, made the playoffs, didn't do much. 2020 felt like it was going to be somewhat of a breakout year, but COVID, I think, put a hamper on that. And 2021, it was when everything finally came together for Alex Bowman. Four wins, eight top fives, 16 top tens, but still a round one exit in the playoffs. 2022, okay, well, he's going to go off. That got an early season win at Las Vegas. Surely this is going to be his year. No, it was inconsistent, and then he missed the final five races due to a concussion, suffered at that horrendous Texas race. And last year had a new crew chief. Blake Harris did some really good stuff with Michael McDowell to improve their uh, car in 2022. It felt like, okay, this is going to be a good pairing. It started out great. He was one of the most consistent drivers, if not had the points lead by the time we rolled around in April. But then he broke his vertebrae in that dirt race, missed about a month and a half of action. By the time he returned, all of his momentum was gone, and he was a complete non-factor. Barely heard a word out of him when he came back. That's how much of a non-factor Alex Bowman is. And when you're that much of a non-factor in Hendrick cars, and two of your teammates made a championship four, and the only reason Chase Elliott didn't, was because he missed seven races due to an injury in his own right and a suspension, and he just couldn't get a win despite actually putting up decent numbers. It, it, the pressure's on for Alex, Alex Bowman. Just to put things in perspective, his average finish last year was worse than his average finish in 2018 when he barely squeaked into the playoffs. And, and for me saying, you know, well, you say Chase Elliott had a bad year, I get it for his standards, yes. But you look at his average finish, it was 13th. It, that's pretty solid. That should get you into the playoffs if you were a full-time competitor and didn't miss seven races. Alex Bowman, if he would have made all of his – not missed three races and had an average finish of 17.2, maybe would have made it. He would have been right there with Bubba. It would have been close. Either that or he's just right outside. But if you're a Hendrick driver, you can't have that happen. So Alex Bowman easily, easily – I think is the driver with the most pressure at Hendrick because William Byron just won the Daytona 500. He's perfectly fine. Chase Elliott's Chase Elliott. And Kyle Larson's Kyle Larson. Bowman feels like the odd man out. But with a second-place finish at Daytona, maybe, maybe this could be what the doctor ordered for Alex Bowman. And you're going to another drafting track this weekend at Atlanta. But it's just it's interesting because it feels like Alex Bowman is at a crossroads right now in his career, and this year determines where he's going in that crossroads. Maybe he's just not meant to be at Hendrick long term. Maybe he needs to be on another team to truly excel. Hendrick was the right place for him at the time in 2017, 2018, but maybe it's not the right place for him right now. I don't know. I think Alex Bowman's a good driver, but I don't think he's going to ever be a Tier 1 championship contender driver, and unfortunately for him, he's on a team with three championship contenders. That's the weird thing with Alex Bowman. Maybe he proves me wrong later this year, but we're still only one week in. But I will say this, a second-place finish for Bowman is what he needs to at least start the season on a good note, and we'll see how it plays out in the coming weeks. 
looking at some of the guys that did not have a good go at Daytona, basically pretty much anyone that was involved in the big one could easily say that, especially if you had a legit chance to win, like the two Fords, Joey Logano, who led the most laps, and Brad Keselowski, who was my pick to win, basically had a horrendous weekend because they fell short of expectations. Brad still trying to get his first win as a owner-driver and his first win in nearly three years. It's been it's starting to get to the point where you want to win because I think Brad is going to win this year. I just don't know when it's going to come. But frustrating performance for them because they had the car. I think Logano had the best overall car in the field, and it just it stunk. It stunk to see if you're a Logano fan, him get that caught up in that wreck and basically ended like there eight laps short when you had the best car. Not a good week for his teammate and defending champion Ryan Blaney. One to forget, not the way he wanted to start his championship defense. He had a horrendous wreck in the duels and then looked like he, I mean, it damn near looked like he broke his wrist on that big one wreck. Fox did a great job of its camera crew, I think, on that big wreck and showing us all the angles, which I commend Fox for. I've been critical of Fox, but I think Fox deserves a lot of praise. I, commercials notwithstanding, I it's frustrating, but it is what it is. There's no controlling it, I feel like. It's just a sign of what NASCAR is going to have to deal with and what we're going to have to deal with specifically. But I think Fox did a good job specifically to camera angles on that big one. Blaney had another hard wreck, and you have to go back to the last time they were at Daytona where he probably took the hardest hit of his career. This has not been the best start for a defending champion uh, in NASCAR. Unfortunately for Blaney, he is going to have to go back to another drafting track in Atlanta, but also you give and take of away. He's also very good at these drafting tracks, so it, it's kind of a weird paradox if you're Ryan Blaney, but not a good start to the season for him. Jimmy Johnson, unfortunately, got caught up in that wreck early on and was basically fighting behind the eight ball uh, throughout the rest of the way. So it, it sucks that we saw Jimmy Johnson but also didn't really see him. He still finished the race, but he finished it four laps down and well off the pace. Uh, hate to see Harrison Burton and Carson Hosevar and Kaz Grala, for that matter, only get five laps, and then their whole entire Daytona 500 uh, was over, especially after having a wait an extra day. So, so that stunk. But the, the big one that really hurts – I think is Daniel Suarez because, like I mentioned, he I think is a driver under the most pressure this year. It, like if he doesn't perform, he's done. I, I truly think he's done in terms of track house. He, I, I think he'll still find a role elsewhere because I do think he brings some sponsorship and he's got a loyal fan base and a loyal following. But this is his last chance, I think, at track house, especially if Ross Chastain is going to continue to be a threat week in and week out. Because now Trackhouse, they have it set up to where they could easily just go to Zane Smith. Or who knows, maybe Shane Van Ginsbergen figures out this whole oval thing pretty quickly and they just move him. So now you got two drivers breathing down your neck. One who's a proven winner in the NASCAR division in Zane Smith who's won a Truck Series championship and isn't one of these Truck Series drivers that just wrecks people to wreck people. He's one of the clean ones that knows what he's doing. And you also have Shane Van Ginsbergen, who is one on his first attempt in the NASCAR Cup Series and is a rallycross legend who decided, you know what, I've done pretty much all I can in rallycross. Let me come to the United States and see this, what this whole NASCAR thing is all about. So you got two guys, two very talented guys, nipping at your heels essentially. And unless Trackhouse can get a third charter, which costs a lot of money, 
and with the whole charter agreement seeming to be in a standstill in some ways, you gotta put you gotta put the gas pedal down to about as low as you can possibly get and put it to the floor because it's literally a make or break year. At least with Bowman, it's just a sentiment. Like, uh, oh, you know, maybe it doesn't work out. He's still got a sponsor that sponsors every single race this year. Daniel Suarez doesn't have that. And Trackhouse maybe is getting to the point where they outgrow him. So to see Suarez, who had a good run throughout the whole entire day, to get caught up in the big one, that is especially a backbreaker because you look at what could have happened. if he, Let's say he misses the big one and wins the race. Now, maybe things could still not work out. We've seen guys who are essentially on contract years or improve-it deals the decline, uh, you know, not stay with the team after they won the 500. Prime example being Ryan Newman after winning the 08 Daytona 500. Roger Penske gave him a contract offer. He declined it. He wanted to see how things played out. And by the time the 09 Daytona 500 rolled around, Ryan Newman was driving for Stuart Haas Racing, the newly formed Stuart Haas Racing. So you got that, and it's just – you know, maybe it's not guaranteed, but I really feel like if he would have made the moves and gotten in the right place at the right time and was able to win the Daytona 500, a lot of pressure would have been off Daniel Suarez throughout the remainder of the year, or at the for, at the very least throughout the remainder of the regular season, because he essentially would have been guaranteed a spot, and that could have really helped him. But now he's going to have to wait. He's going to have to wait. He's going to have to perform week in and week out and prove that he's the driver that Trackhouse wants long term. So that's going to be a very interesting dilemma that Daniel Suarez has to have in the back of his mind throughout the rest of the year, and that's not a fun thing. That is not a fun thing at all for any driver, any person. And it's going to be very interesting to see how he specifically feels that pressure. And unfortunately for him, it didn't get off to the best start in 2024. Looking ahead to Atlanta, before I give my picks for the races upcoming this weekend in Atlanta, Another drafting track. <laughs> it's the first time we've had back-to-back drafting tracks to start the year, at least in the modern era. I'm not uh, going back into the 60s and 50s, but, I mean, Daytona wasn't around until 1959. But uh, nonetheless, Atlanta is going to provide its own new challenges. It's not exactly the same. But uh, if it's anything like the cup race we saw last year in the summer, we could be in for a treat. But then again, that was because you're racing against the rain. Luckily, as I'm knocking on wood, we don't have to worry about that, according to the meteorologist. It'd be nice if we can go one week without rain. It'd be very nice, but uh, I'm not holding my breath. But if we do, if the forecast does hold up the way it's predicting to be right now, we'll be sunny skies, we'll race on Sunday without any problems. It's going to be interesting because... Usually we go from this to a mile and a half of some kind or we auto club, which is no longer in existence. I have no idea what to expect. I don't think you'll see the same aggressiveness just because the track dimensions, as we know, is a lot smaller. You cannot really make moves. It's hard enough to be two by two, let alone three wide at the track. And plus Atlanta in, under this new configuration has shown and proven to be very tough on tires and you can pop and lose your car's control at a moment's notice in between the turns. That's what kind of makes this track very unique compared to the other track tracks that are super speedways. 
not, not saying that you don't have bumps and get loose or anything, but it's much more common at Atlanta Motor Speedway from what we've seen so far. This is going to be race five under this configuration, and it, it's it's interesting. I don't I don't know if I love the track, but I I don't hate it. It's one of those unique things where if this was the norm, I would hate it. Basically, if they put it with a mile, it was just a cookie-cutter mile and a half. That was boring, bland racing. I would hate it. But last year's races at Atlanta actually were pretty satisfactory for me. And with the guys continuing to really get the flow of this new car, and now with it being in its third year and the drafting tracks at Daytona and Talladega, you see them finding more and more momentum to have more fun races. I'm actually pretty excited for this weekend and hopefully a lot of fans come over that were watching the race for the first time and watch this race. Now, hopefully someone will tell them after this week, it's going to be a little bit until you see another drafting track. It's not literally like this every single week. But I, I am excited to see what the rest of this season provides and what this weekend specifically provides for us fans. And with that, let's get to my picks. Evan thinks he's pretty smart when it comes to NASCAR. The inner machinations of my mind are an enigma. Let's see if that holds up as he tries to pick the race winners in the burnout. All right, all aboard, all three racing series are on deck this weekend. First, the Craftsman Truck Series, the Freight 208 at Atlanta Motor Speedway. Saturday, February 24th at 2 p.m. Coverage on FS1. For the truck race, I have Grant Infinger winning. Grant is always a reliable guy to go to in the truck series. I think he's going to get the job done in Atlanta. Picking Grant Infinger to get that Chevrolet into victory lane for the truck series. For the Xfinity series, which follows the truck race, the race will also be on FS1. The Raptor King of Tough 250 starting at 5 p.m. or when the Truck Series race ends. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna go with a wild card here. I'm going to Faustin Hill. The guy won at Daytona. He is a super speedway king and is unstoppable in the Xfinity series. So until someone beats him on a consistent basis, I'm gonna stick with Austin Hill in that number 21 RCR Chevy. And the Cup Series race at Atlanta. The Am Better Help 400 coverage for the race begins at 2.30 p.m. and the race is on Fox. I'm going with a Toyota who showed a lot of promise during the race. It feels weird picking him at a drafting track, but I thought he did a good job. I'm going with MTJ Martin Truex Jr. to get a win at Atlanta to start the 2024 season, what could be his last year potentially. We're basically on a year-by-year basis. I'm going with MTJ to win at Hotlanta. So once again, my picks for this weekend are Grant Enfinger, Austin Hill, duh, and Martin Truex Jr. to be your winners this weekend in Atlanta. That'll do it for this edition of Into the Smoke. Be sure to tune into next week's edition of the show as we'll recap what happened in Atlanta and look ahead to NASCAR's West Coast Road Swing a week later than usual as they'll go to Sin City, Las Vegas to start the month of March. But until then, I hope you all have a good week and stay fast. In Jesus' name, boogity, 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 amen.